How do I say goodbye to what we it's, had? It's time to go. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. The, the results are in. Yeah, that's Betsy, Betsy. I know, I know. It's The years, they went by so quickly, but it's, it's over. It's over. Your, your yacht, it's pulling off. It's pulling off. Betsy, you're going to be late. You're going to be late, Betsy. It's time to go. I'm sorry. It's it's time to go, Betsy. What up, family? This is Manuel Rustin, your favorite teacher's favorite teacher. And I'm here with Jeff. And we are back at you again with another all of the above passing period. Now, passing period, these are special episodes that we drop in between our full episodes. Our full episodes, of course, go on YouTube. And it takes a while to edit those down. And passing period gives us time to, to talk about stories that perhaps didn't make it into our most recent full episodes. So um, thank you for joining us. As we said last week, we'd be doing two passing periods in a row. And our next full episode will be coming at you next week with a a super dope guest who just um, won a a very, very high profile election around these parts in Los Angeles. But for now, we want to take a moment to, um, you know, reflect, I guess, think about and um, set the record straight and clear about outgoing, outgoing Secretary of Education, Ms. Betsy DeVos. Jeff, how are you feeling? Oh, man. Uh, I'm, I'm just hearing you say the word outgoing. Uh, <laughs> has brightened my day. There's sunlight coming in through the window. Uh, the the orchid is uh, getting ready to bloom, and Betsy is packing her bags for the yacht back to Michigan. Man. Oh, <laughs> Jeff, she is not packing her bags. Her paid uh, <laughs> someone is yes. being paid to pack her bags for her. Yes, the 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 people who took advantage of her school choice options. Um, so that they could become a personal stooge to to Betsy and yes. her rich family, um, yes, are packing her her bags with all her trash on its way out of town. Yep. Um, not that I, not that I'm bitter or anything, Manuel. Yeah, yeah, I could tell, I could tell. So, I mean, folks, last week we we talked about the election, um, sort of in in more general terms, not just the presidential election, but also some of the propositions. Um, you know some of the some of the ballot measures here in California and some of the other elements of the election that has that may have an impact on education. But this week we wanted to specifically discuss our experience over these last few years with a um, cabinet secretary who is just um, or has been just disastrous secretary of education. Uh, for those who who value public schools and value the institution that is uh, public education. And we wanted to spend this episode to specifically uh, look back at some of her record and also think about what we would like to see from the next cabinet secretary or from the Biden administration more generally with regards to education. So Jeff, you know, these episodes, we, we try not to make the passing period episodes too long, and we could really be here all day if we were to uh, talk about every single thing that <laughs> Betsy did, which was just um, tragic and terrible for America's youth. So, you know, let's try to, I guess, be uh, be a little selective with, with some of what she did and, you know, look at maybe some of the highlights or shall I say lowlights of Betsy's disastrous record. And I don't know, where do you think we should start? Well, man, well, I think uh, the list is long, so we should probably uh, just get started at the beginning, I think, because uh, <laughs> we, we only have but so much time today, as you said. Uh, and Betsy is, uh, you know, she's one of those rare, unique, 
almost cartoonish uh, villain type of people who just kind of keeps on giving. So, you know, you scratch the surface and then and then you just got to keep scratching because you realize it just goes deeper. So um, here's just a, a brief sampling of the glorious, notorious resume of the one and only Elizabeth Prince DeVos, a.k.a. Betsy DeVos, current and soon-to-be former U.S. Department of Education, Secretary of Education. Here we go. She was uh, ranked the least popular cabinet secretary uh, approaching the end of the first year of the Trump administration. Um, she had to be uh, approved for that job in the first place with the closest confirmation vote ever. Mike Pence had to walk his rusty dusty behind uh, from the White House <laughs> down to the Capitol to cast the tie-breaking vote. Um, that tie-breaking vote came, of course, after she completely bumbled her confirmation hearing uh, with the infamous comments about uh, schools having guns in case of grizzly attacks and her inability to speak to, at that time, Senator Al Franken's questions about the difference between proficiency and growth, as well as her inability to even know what the federal law was that governs the rights and education of students with disabilities. Um, she kept her private, uh, her schedule private when it's supposed to be public. That, of course, happened after she kept getting booed at all the schools that she went to uh, <laughs> during her first year, and then she stopped going to schools. Um, she, of course, infamously characterized historically black colleges as, quote, pioneers of school choice. Um, she admitted in an infamous 60 Minutes interview that she purposely hadn't visited any low-performing public schools in her home state of Michigan, where she has and her foundation has spent millions of dollars uh, influencing education policy and pushing for expanded school choice. Um, she was held in contempt, I believe twice, may have been three times, by a federal judge for refusing to forgive loans that um, students had been uh, forced to take out by fraudulent for-profit colleges that were shut down uh, during the previous administration. She made it easier for uh, those who had committed sexual assault on college campuses to get off without consequences. Um, she removed protections that had been put in place for trans youth in schools. She gutted the Civil Rights Division in the U.S. Department of Ed, leaving marginalized groups with little protection from the federal level. She proposed massive cuts to the U.S. Department of Ed budget uh, that made their way into the Trump administration administration's budget proposal to Congress. Um, well over 90% of those who apply for the public service loan forgiveness program, of which there are many educators uh, to forgive student loans, um, had those applications denied um, for stupid technicality kinds of reasons. Um, and she has been uh, most certainly actively waging a war against public schools by uh, supporting uncontrolled proliferation uh, of charter schools and by funneling money, including money that was meant to go to public schools to provide coronavirus relief, to instead go to private and religious schools. And we will pause there, Manuel, because, you know, t time is of the essence. But that's just a sampling of what the great Betsy DeVos has brought us in her four disastrous years as our Secretary of Education. That's it. That's not. That's not even that much, man. Uh, just yes, a couple she's of just things. There's just a couple slip ups. Yeah, uh, we could. You know, maybe we should. Uh, maybe we should try to get an interview with her for all of the above. We can ride the yacht back to Michigan. You know, and uh, just talk about it with her. 
That would be fantastic. I don't know how we would ride a yacht from Los Angeles to Michigan, but um, I'm sure, well, I think I'm sure she also DC, dabbles in private jets. And then um, we got to go up you know, to Hudson, into the Great Lakes and all that stuff. I think, I think it's possible, man. All right, all right. I'll take your word for it. Uh, Betsy, if you are listening, we will um, certainly take you up for you know, an opportunity to uh, ride the yacht from Los Angeles to Michigan to um, you know, discuss <laughs> some of this um, record of yours for sure. Um, yeah, so... You know, if we were to, to to sum that all up, she essentially gutted public education or the institution of public education, as we know, or attempted to gut it from everything from protecting our most marginalized to gutting the budget to opening up school choice so that the foundational institution of public schools and having a, a public school in your neighborhood that is high performing basically just undermining that whole that whole endeavor trying to do that. So, yeah, um pretty bad, Jeff, pretty bad. I I don't really know where to begin in terms of reflecting on all of this. I guess as a a proud public school teacher, a classroom teacher, for me the main thing about her record that has irritated me to no end is just her complete lack of belief in the institution of public school. And trying to undermine it at at every turn from, you know, I don't think that list even included the attempt to funnel coronavirus aid to religious schools, for example. We got it there at the end. We got it there at the end. Don't uh, don't sell that list short. Yeah, it wasn't there. Sorry, sorry. (laughs) Um, You know, so... Just a, a open war against against the institution of public schools, and the whole time, the whole time, being booed at every turn, being uh, made fun of at every turn, rightfully, and outlasting practically every other cabinet secretary, despite this horrible, horrendous record. Uh, she outlasted just about everybody except for uh, I think Ben Carson, right? So on the one hand, it's it's kind of you know props to her for out for for surviving that that storm of a White House, but really she only did that so that she could utilize her influence as a, as a billionaire to take apart such a such a valued and treasured institution as as education. So Jeff, I don't know where do we even begin in terms of repairing some of this? Like what do we want to see happen? in the attempt to address this and, you know, get things back on a positive track. Yeah, I, you know, it is, there is a huge swath of work, right, that, uh, that the Biden administration and all of us collectively are going to have to take on to just undo the damage, right? So there, there is a fair amount of just like reversal of executive orders, um, reversal, like in the, within the discretionary power of the Secretary of Education, they can just simply just you know uh, declare something opposite to what uh, to what Betsy put in place, right? And and so in the work of um, of of addressing her rather um, let's let's say uh, ignominious. Uh, you know, <laughs> time, time and offer. There's a good SAT word for you. Yeah. Uh, she, there's a lot of it that can be done administratively, right? And then, though, I think what's interesting is kind of the question of like, all right, once that stuff, once you can just stop being mean to trans kids and like not letting them use the bathroom and stuff, you can, then the, the question becomes like, all right, so now what, right? And I, in that now what space, um, you know, we've we've done a little bit of thinking, prepared some ideas here that we're going to kind of offer to Joe Biden and company. 
And I, my first thought, Manuel, is that um, especially in this time of coronavirus, like the, the, the issue I'm going to name here was an issue before <laughs> and we needed massive investment before. But now that breathing the same air as other people in, clo- in closed spaces can kill you or can infect you so you go home and you kill your grandmother, right? Um, there is a massive need for infrastructure funding in public schools. Right. And so some of that is about construction of new physical plants, but some of that is also about um, just updates and upgrades to facilities, uh, to ventilation systems, to, um, you know, to allow for the possibility of greater use of outdoor spaces, at least during the times of the year when, you know, when that is possible from a weather standpoint in different parts of the country. Um but really thinking about how do we insulate ourselves as much as we can from the possibility of either a prolonged battle with COVID-19 or, you know, we get over the COVID-19 hump at some point in the next year and then we got, you know, COVID-2021 coming, <laughs> right? right? So um, how do we create infrastructure or set ourselves up so we have infrastructure that makes our schools more resilient, um, to the pandemic. And that also includes like technology, right? And the, um, the sort of, uh, you know, tether now that exists in new ways between school at home on your Chromebook, right? Or your laptop and school at physical school um, in a, you know, in a shared space. So I think we need massive investment in infrastructure, which is something that, um, you know, Biden has at least talked about. Um, so who knows what the appetite in Congress is for that, but um, yeah, that that's my first my first big dreamer idea to bring up to Jeff. The do new you not remember power. President Trump's infrastructure week? He oh. had an infrastructure week, <laughs> and I don't remember oh, what exactly God. happened, but I'm pretty sure infrastructure got you know sorted out and figured out and improved. So right, right, you right, might yes. not have been paying attention. You know, liberal media might not have covered it. <laughs> So, I think that was that right after all the factory jobs came back from Mexico and China. Was that um, right yeah, all of them came back. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. Just wanted to double Winning. check. So, <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> I mean, certainly <laughs> that needs to be done. Certainly, I would like to see uh, this administration really focus on the return to school. I don't mean return to school like oh cases are down, so everyone back in the classrooms. I mean like life after this current pandemic and what schools look like going forward, because of course there's the infrastructure piece, you know, the physical safety piece, but there's also just the reality of how many teachers we are losing. Uh, We already had a national teacher shortage, which was worse in some States and some areas than others, but nationally a shortage of teachers. And now you're going to have even more of that because so many folks are for one facing the, uh, so many districts are facing the economic repercussions of this pandemic and having to, um, lay off their staff or lay off teachers. Um, those who aren't already will certainly be doing that sometime soon or sometime this year. And then you have the folks who decided that this distance learning or hybrid learning model is just too much to bear. So folks who have left the profession or considering leaving. So um, that shortage is something that's going to have to be addressed in a major way. And particularly when you look at diversity within the field. So we've on this show you know, spoken about the need for more uh, support for teachers of color and recruitment and retention of teachers of color. And I think now that's more important than ever, especially in the wake of this summer's 
um, reckoning for racial justice. And as you see, the demographics of our public school student population continuing to diversify, it's more important than ever to support teachers of color. And I would love to see, this is, I guess, dreaming big. I mean, Biden for sure hasn't said anything along these lines, but I really think it's time to seriously consider a GI Bill model for for teachers, particularly for teachers of color. I'm talking like real financial support for incoming teachers to recruit people into the profession, to value them, to help them get started in their their mortgages and tuition relief and uh, student debt relief and um, robust unemployment security so that if somebody does enter the profession and faces that pink slip at the end, I would love to see some added protections to help those folks out so that it doesn't drive them away from the profession. And um, just honestly, uh, national investment in the next generation of teachers for this post-coronavirus era. So I would love to see that. Whether or not that would happen, obviously, you know, I know nothing about anybody proposing anything like that, but that massive investment that our nation um, gave to soldiers returning from World War II and the continued um, benefits that we are offering folks who serve in the military, we got to start talking about doing some of that for, for our teachers in our public schools because it's not looking good and we we need quality teachers. We can have the best infrastructure possible. We can have the safest schools possible. We can have ventilation. We have all that stuff. But if the teaching is still backwards, if the if students are still dealing with sub substitute after substitute, if um, you're still having folks who are on emergency credentials because the you know situation at that particular district or that particular region, you just had to take whoever came through the door. You know we're not going to see much movement in terms of student achievement. So I would love to see serious investment in teachers, like right off the bat. Yeah, you know, um when we when we talked about this this episode, man, well, we talked about we were we were dreaming big. I I didn't know you were just going to you were going to dream big and and like solve all the problems in one uh <laughs> I mean, why not, man? Why in not? One proposal, man. That uh I'll second that. I mean, I mean the should... money we save from <laughs> not having to have Betsy DeVos's security detail because oh, so much money is being spent on her security detail. I forgot <laughs> like about that alone the... could do so much. Man. Imagine how terrible you have to be as the Secretary of Education exactly. that you need security. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> wow. Wow. I, I had totally forgotten about that part. Yeah, man. Crazy, man. Crazy. Oh, man. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I love everything you just said there. That is, uh, yes, the, the, the like wholesale investment in teachers and in the teaching profession um, I will, I will co-sign second that. Absolutely. You know, it's funny cause my second big idea actually kind of fits underneath your umbrella, although maybe it's, it's, you know, it's just sort of a slightly different take on it. Um, but you know, I'm looking at the problems, some of the problems you named, right? We have a teacher shortage already, right? We have a situation where the, um, currently we're living in a honeymoon period where the effects of the recession have been mitigated enough that in most states, school budgets have not completely gone off a cliff and we have not seen mass layoffs at scale across the country. But coming, you know, like schools are going to start getting their budgets in most places in the country starting somewhere around like March of next year through the early summer. And, um, you know, and then like, and then what, right? <laughs> like yep. there's been no infusion of federal dollars. 
there's huge declines in tax revenue because so many people are out of work. Um, and the only people who are getting rich in this country are the folks who are already rich who don't freaking pay taxes so or hardly pay any taxes. So um, so we're definitely looking at an impending fiscal crisis, right? A depression-level crisis. And when state and local budgets are cut because education makes up such a large percentage of the budget, like teachers and staff in schools and programs in schools are going down. So... I would like to see not only work to prop up state and local budgets to preserve their integrity and avoid mass layoffs, but I would like to see on top of that investments in increasing teacher pay. Because I think at the end of the day, a lot of the challenges that we have with attracting and retaining teachers are also like real crudely just like economic challenges. You know, if I need to be the breadwinner for my family, Teaching is not the job for me, you know, for, for the most part, right? And unless you've got enough stability around you where you can, you know, kind of get through the early years of teaching where you're not, you know, making very much right. into more your middle career where, like, you're making, you know, a, a more of a decent wage and now you've got job security with good pay, right? Um, but how many people can wait that long? Yeah. And, um, and, and I think that... student teaching, too, like that, you Exactly. Know. Yeah, and the and the debt of grad school, right? So it is. Um, I think we've got to boost teacher pay. We've got to, and and I'm saying that you know I worked in New York, which is you know at least as far as urban districts go, is a relatively you know competitive pay district. L.A. is not you know is is not a great paying district, but is certainly better than a lot of the like states where we saw strikes earlier um, you know, last year. I guess you know Oklahoma and Arizona right. and West Virginia, right? Where folks are making you know twenty eight thousand yeah. dollars a year as a teacher or whatever. Like that kind of stuff is it's offensive and it's crazy. And if we want to invest in our children in our future, we got to pay teachers a professional wage. So I want to see teacher pay go up, but I want to see it done in a way that is about an investment in the future of the profession, yeah. not just paying the folks who are getting ready to retire. Um, and, you know, not to dismiss those folks, right? But I'm like, the Damn, problem Jeff. isn't Ageism. that our retirees aren't getting set up for a nice pension. The problem is our young folks are not staying or coming yeah. into the profession. So we need to really fix that, especially. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And of course, you know, so we could have updated modern infrastructure, but that won't go so go, won't go very far if the teaching, you know, if teachers aren't there. Um, you could have robust numbers of teachers with you know higher teacher pay and, and benefits and protections and all that, but that'll only go so far if the teaching itself is still rooted in backwards, um, outdated pedagogy and outdated curriculum. So um, I would also love to see. Obviously, not a whole lot of this is going to come from the federal level, but I would love to see a lot of support for our younger teachers to engage in in liberating pedagogy and liberating curriculum. I know myself, my first few years teaching in the No Child Left Behind era, like it it killed me, man. Like it, it almost drove me out because I just felt like I wasn't doing what the students needed. I was over here trying to teach to this test and it just wasn't what the kids needed. So I would love to see those younger teachers be supported in having more humanizing, liberating curriculum. And that's not something that I would expect at all from like, you know, Biden administration coming down, but I would love to see some sort of signaling, some sort of support for, for that, because 
for one, it's needed. Obviously, uh, it's it's really needed. And what some districts are doing in terms of trying to uh, bring in ethnic studies and make it a graduation requirement, what California is attempting to do, bringing ethnic studies as a statewide graduation requirement and having curriculum, um, those sorts of things, I think, will go a long way towards retaining younger teachers, but also um, really helping to serve our students and to prepare them for a world that's much more humanizing and much more inclusive than the world of yesterday. So I would love to see that too. So we got to get the the physical surroundings right. We got to get the the teacher support there and we got to get the curriculum and practices right in order to really do do right by our our students. So big, big stuff that we're not going to see happen in one administration and we're not going to see happen from simply like the choice of um, Secretary of Education. But, you know, just in terms of Long-term directions, that's that's where I would like to see us heading. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, I think you're right, man. There's um, sometimes I think there's a bit of a misconception that people have about, like, what exactly type of power rests at the federal level in education. And a lot of the things that people feel most passionately about around, like, curriculum and pedagogy and stuff, like, Really, the, the federal government doesn't play an outsized role in, the, in governing those decisions. Now, you know, we've seen moments where there's been pushes in that direction, like the, you know, sort of advent of the Common Core Standards. But all the, like, PD you've been to, all the, you know, all the instructional work you've been a part of, right? Like, ain't nobody from Washington, D.C. delivering that stuff, right? <laughs> like, this... This is really more the, the purview of state and local governments. And so, you know, there, of course, the, that effort needs to continue. But also, as we talk about the incoming Biden administration, you know, we also got to think about, like, well, what power do they wield and how do they wield it? Right. And they they move dollars around. Right. And incentivize certain kinds of behaviors and disincentivize other kinds of behaviors. Right. Um, and so, you know, I think in that space, some of the things we're talking about with infrastructure, investments in the profession, propping up state and local governments, right? Like these are, these are things they can do that that level of the government is equipped to influence. And that is, you know, that's badly needed really all over the country, man. And so let's hope, um, that as, you know, as the, the new administration gets itself together, that uh, we we see some bold thinking about education and not just um, you know let's let's go back to the way it was uh, in 2016. Right, right. Yeah, all that, and of course we like to see. I'm sure you would agree. We would like to see the changes that have been made under the DeVos administration to um, Title IX and to a lot of the um, Obama era protections for trans youth and LGBTQ plus youth. Um, yeah, we'd like to see those protections restored. And as far as the Title IX goes, I saw an NBC News article, I think it was uh, Tyler uh, Kincaid, wrote about how difficult it's going to be to to stop or scrap the changes that Betsy made to Title IX. I'm not a, definitely not an expert in the, the procedure here, but evidently the way she went about making the changes to Title IX, which um, for those not familiar, we've talked about it on our show before, but these changes basically... Um, give a lot more power to to those who are accused of sexual assaults, and they they take away a lot of the protections that were there for people, especially in in higher ed, who were uh, victims of sexual assault. The way 
she went about making these changes. Um, it wasn't just like a quick executive action or anything like that. So um, without any kind of congressional response, my understanding is that it's going to take a while. We're talking a couple years to undo the damage that she did to Title IX, which is um, whack, whack. But, you know, obviously we want to see something done about that. We also had reports during this administration of changes being made to school lunch and who's eligible for school lunch. And I think with the pandemic, we saw a lot of districts move to you know, um, school meals for all. So hopefully that's something that, that sticks or stays. At least I know in my area, like pretty much everybody who needed a school meal could come and get one. And Jeff, I don't know if you remember, but um, one of the most uh, celebrated universities to come about during the Betsy DeVos era was um, Reagan National University. And Reagan National mm. University, stellar <laughs> accredited university, which according to <laughs> Wikipedia, the Wikipedia description of Reagan National University says, uh, Reagan National University is an accredited institution of higher education in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, which does not exist, has no students, faculty, <laughs> or classrooms. Ugh. And uh, it was accredited thanks to the Accrediting Council for Independent Colleges and Schools, which is an accrediting body which had been um, lost its its authorization under Obama. But the Trump administration, with the help of Betsy DeVos, allowed ACICS to... Um, get back on the accrediting train and they accredited the school that doesn't even freaking exist. So I'll be happy to see that type of um, hustling, that type of grift disappear. Yeah. I mean, look, man, when you have, when you literally, no exaggeration, have a president who himself has been the, had to settle with the federal government <laughs> for running a fraudulent university it is not a surprise that he appoints a secretary of education whose first priority is going to be to figure out ways in which we can create more for-profit fraudulent colleges that will defraud students at taxpayer expense, right? So, like, this Crazy, is, man. it is both shocking and also like, well, what the hell do we expect? Yes. I mean, the dude has literally done this himself. Like, of course. This is how it went, of course. Yeah. But that, yeah, man, that story was so wild because I remember the, the pictures in the article of the like empty storefront with tipped over chairs inside and stuff, man. man. Like, literally no one even went to look. That like, do they even have a sign? Like, just, just trash. Complete fraud, right? Complete yeah. fraud. So, you know, regardless of how you feel politically, like, I, you know, I don't care where anyone is on the spectrum. Getting Betsy DeVos out of there is a good thing. And us being able to shift to some semblance of like, let's have a honest, real conversation about education and not one that's just like pure, how do we extract profit out of the system uh, is going to be a good thing for everybody involved. Agreed. Agreed. So, Miss Betsy, we are um, sad to see you go. Um Obviously, not sad at all. We're quite thrilled not to see yet. you, though. And <laughs> you might be sad. I'm happy as hell to see her <laughs> ridiculous, ignominious behind heading out the door, yachting back to Michigan. This would have been a hilarious four years, though, if we didn't actually care about these things, because it's kind of hilarious just how bad she was. And like getting booed at a freaking graduation ceremony, have people stand up and turn their back to you as Secretary of Ed, like, that would be hilarious if this wasn't like real people in real lives we're talking about this this so yeah so that is it and jeff i think i think 
it would be right for us to pretty much say the the chapter is closed on Betsy DeVos and are discussing Betsy DeVos on all of the above. Um, short of any other last minute catastrophic stuff she tries to pull on her way out <laughs> or anything that gets uncovered in the years after, um, I think don't, our relationship don't speak with it Betsy into is, existence, man. Say what? <laughs> I said, don't speak it into existence. Um, I'm saying, but um, <laughs> but yeah, our our all of the above relationship with Betsy DeVos um, it's coming to an end, and we are sure she will still keep visiting our videos on YouTube and giving us the uh, thumbs down because um, you know. We know she loves us. She's our, our number one hater and will always be our number one hater. So, um, Betsy DeVos, uh, peace out to you. Enjoy the Maldives or wherever you might be headed. And, um, yeah, that about does it for for this week's passing period. And, folks, next week we have, we're have we back with another full episode. And our guest will be none other than Tanya Ortiz Franklin, who is the newest member of the Los Angeles Unified School District uh, School Board. So we, if you've been following our show, you know we discussed this, this race and how this broke records for being the most expensive race for school board in U.S. history. So... Um, we're going to sit down with Tanya and talk to her about her priorities and, and, and her thoughts about the race itself and, and what it was like being an educator running for, for political office and what her vision is for the future of uh, LA Unified and, and all that good stuff. So another dope guest coming your way. You don't want to miss it. So be sure if you haven't already, uh, hit that follow, subscribe, all that good stuff. Five stars will be very much appreciated in the the podcast ratings because that helps us grow our audience and, and all that good stuff. So, folks, thank you for joining us this week. We will see you next week. And for now, it's time for you to uh, get to class.